following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Uh, the crowds are, are swelling uh, to the tens of thousands. Uh, Luke says so much so that people are stepping over each other trying to get to Jesus. And as these crowds grow, Jesus is, is oblivious, really, to the crowds. And it says he turns and he speaks to his disciples first. And his focus is becoming more and more directed at his true followers. The crowds can hear, they can listen. Uh, he wants them to know the truth, but Jesus is concerned about his disciples. And in this passage, he gives them a warning. He says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Uh, the, the Pharisees in, in Jewish culture were the most respected and honored and were really looked at as the good guys, the good people, right? Jesus says, beware of these good people because they are, they are dangerous. Right? Do you ever look at people and think that? Not, not usually how I picture good people. Right? I usually think of good people as being a threat to my life or as being a danger. But Jesus says to his disciples, beware of the leaven uh, of the Pharisees. Leaven, of course, is a little bit like yeast. It was used to make bread rise. But this type of leaven was basically sourdough, right? It was dough, bread dough, that was infected with a bacteria, okay? It's germs, right? And the way they would make bread rise is they would take this germ-laden bread dough and they would put it into a new batch of bread dough that did not have germs so that it would be infected with these germs. It's unappetizing, okay? This is sourdough bread, right? Uh, and works like that with... Uh, yogurt, other cultures, right? And, and you put the little tiny speck of bacteria bread in the good bread, and it, it permeates the whole batch of dough, right? So it gets all infiltrated with this bacteria, this, and, it, and it rises. Jesus says, watch out, because good people are like this, this, this germ-infested bread. And their influence can cause great destruction and damage in your life. So beware. Um, what exactly was it that Jesus was worried about? What was the influence that Jesus was worried about? Well, it wasn't that he was worried that people would be led to be good uh, by the example of good people. Right? He's, not, he's not worried that somebody would turn from a life of crime and re rehabilitate by the influence of these good people. Um, what he's worried about is hypocrisy. It is a worldview and a, a system, a way of living that was destructive for the, the good people, the Pharisees, and Jesus feared that it would creep into the lives of his followers and be a destructive influence in their life as well. Um, and throughout Scripture and, and in this passage and other places, the Bible tells us that there really are just two kinds of people. Okay, the first kind of people are wicked, bad people. Paul defines them this way, those who are filled with all matter of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, those who are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, 
inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Okay, wicked people, right? Picture in your mind a wicked person, right? Who's the stereotype for you of a wicked person, right? Jesus says there are those kind of people in the world, right? Now, opposing those kind of people are who? Good people? Well, not actually. Jesus says the second category of people are these. Good people who pretend to be good. Okay, there are all those things that he just mentioned. There are God-haters, they are ruthless, they are gossips, they are disobedient to parents, foolishness, faithless, heartless, ruthless, but they're pretending to be good. That is hypocrisy. Right? Hypocrisy is a realization that inside we are wicked, evil people. Uh, but the way we handle that, the way we solve the problem for a hypocrite, is they work hard at pretending to be good. It is, in essence, a great cover-up where they are uh, putting on a mask or a, a deception uh, where they appear to be something they are not. In fact, that's exactly uh, literally what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is somebody uh, who is literally an actor. The Greek word was used for stage actors who pretended to be somebody they were not. And Jesus' charge of the, of the Pharisees is that they are, they are hypocrites who are pretending to be someone they're not putting on a show. Right? He said they are, they, are, they are no different than what you picture as an evil, wicked person. And the danger and the risk is that you, you are deceived by their act, by their pretense, by their show. They're trying to pull off a life that is good and cover up what's inside. So that's why in the passage before Jesus said, they are, your, your cup's clean on the outside, bowl's clean on the outside, but you are filthy inside. That's hypocrisy. And it is this elaborate cover-up. And Jesus says you've got to be very careful about this kind of thinking. This thinking that says, I'm going to overcome and conceal and hide the truth about who I am inside by appearing to be something I am not. By trying to be good. And Jesus says, the gospel says, there is no good person. In fact, when uh, you remember the rich ruler came to Jesus and said, good rabbi, and what did Jesus say to him? He said, there's no one good but God. Right? There's no such thing as a good person, no matter how good people may be at pretending, at putting on a show or an act. Um, and, and to understand hypocrisy a bit further, what is really the motive behind hypocrisy? Well, ultimately, I believe it is living to please. Uh, we seek to put on a good show, to project something we are not, to pretend something we are not, because we are living to please. First, please myself by creating a version of me I can feel good about. Because right? none of us is really uh, embraces or feels you know, real great about what we really are inside. So the way we deal with that is one way to deal with that the hypocritic way of deal with it is I try to be good outwardly I try to keep my nose clean to try to do the right things to try to be socially acceptable as a cover up for what I really am inside so I can feel good about myself secondly we please seek to please others 
with a version of me they will be impressed with. Um, so what is so bad about being a people pleaser? Because uh, it seems like the, you know, the opposite of pleasing people is to just be obnoxious. <laughs> I'm not a people pleaser, I'm just obnoxious. Okay. But that's not actually what Jesus is saying here either. Right? Um, the problem is that being a people pleaser is really actually not loving people. The uh, pleasingness, this is desire to please that fuels or that's driven by hypocrisy um, is ultimately selfish. Right? It is a concern with getting what I need from people. And so I try to be the person people want me to be so that they will like me, so that they will accept me. Um, and at the root of it all is fear, right? Is fear. We fear that if I'm not the person people need me to be and expect me to be, that they will not like me and maybe they will hate me. And I need them to like me. I fear that they will reject me and I need them to accept me. I fear that they will hurt me and I need them to love me. I fear they will laugh at me and make fun of me and I need them to respect me. Right? See, fear is what's behind that. The fear of man. And we learn this often at a very young age. Probably most of us, right, learn this at a very young age. I learned it very young, uh, mostly, and I blame, I blame my mom for this. Not really. Uh, my, my parents were, were, were poor, poorer, and so to save money, my mom would, would, uh, would take on duties she may, maybe shouldn't have, like, like cutting hair, right? And she would give me these wonderful haircuts and love and, and, and because she's just such an amazing mom and trying to save money. But, but they weren't exactly fashionable. Kind of the, the bowl, you know the bowl haircut? I had the bowl haircut, right? And uh, they they shrimp, you know, scrimp and save, and she would she would not replace my pants until they were absolutely outgrown, right? So typically my pants were about eight inches too short, right? And they had a title for that, right? What was it? What do you call kids whose pants are too short? High waters, right? Makes sense in Thailand, not so much in Colorado, right? No floods coming there, right? So, so I would go to school with my bull haircut and my short pants. And uh, kids did not say, wow, you look so cool, right? You know? What did kids do? Well, they would make fun of me, right? They would mock me and laugh at me and make fun of me, right? Um, and so I learned, right, very early on, uh, you know, you've got to be careful about what people see, right? You've got to be cool. You've got to... Pretend to be something, because really I was a nerd, okay? But I could, I, I'm going to pretend to not be. As I got older and got, you know, could control things like my haircut and my pants. My, my pants got a lot longer and so did my hair, right? Because, um, right, I don't want people laughing at me. And not only that, but in 10,000 other ways, I started finding ways to please people, to be the person I needed, they, they needed me to be and wanted me to be so that they would not laugh at me so that they would not disrespect me, so they would like and accept me. Because the thing I feared was that people would reject me. So I feared man. And it, it turned me into a people pleaser. Um, so, so why are these people so dangerous? 
aside from short hair and short pants, right? Why are they so dangerous, these people who are people pleasers? Um, Jesus says, watch out, these people are dangerous, and their thinking is dangerous. So what's the, what's, what's the great threat here to us? Well, Jesus says this in verse 2. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Whatever you have said in the dark, it shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the most private of rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Uh, What Jesus is saying here is simply that the cover-up is temporary. Whatever effort you make to um, cover up what you are inside, to pretend to be something you are not, will eventually be exposed. The truth about who you are inside will absolutely be exposed. And it's exposed first by the gospel. Uh, The gospel is good news, but the gospel does not begin as good news, does it? It begins actually as very bad news. And the bad news is this. You are, I am, everybody is wicked, sinful, corrupt, lost. Paul says it this way in Romans 3. No one is righteous. Not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We are all desperately wicked people. And that's the starting point of the gospel. The gospel starts there. We don't just do bad things. We are inherently wicked, evil people who have a heart of rebellion and hatred against God. That's where life starts for us. Uh, And the gospel exposes that. Uh, the gospel says you, you are not good no matter how good of an actor you are. Right? No matter how much you, you pretend that you are a good person, the gospel strips all that away and exposes a heart that is desperately wicked before God. That is the truth and reality, reality about every single human being. Um, now, this is not... This is not news and probably not even bad news for people who know they're sinners. So when Jesus proclaimed this truth, uh, the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the, the rough and tough, foul-mouthed fishermen, um, you know, they, they said, yeah, so, so what? I know that. You don't have to tell me I'm a wicked person. I know that, right? They were not threatened because their life was already exposed, right? They weren't pretending to be something they weren't. They knew they were messed up people, right? And so for people who are wicked and know they're wicked and are wearing it out there for everybody to see, the gospel is really not a threat for them, right? Because it's not exposing anything that they're not already honest about. But what about good people, right? Well, the threat of exposure... Uh, is something they will fight tooth and nail. 
they have worked hard in investing in a life that is a huge grand deception and cover-up. And they're not about to let something like the gospel expose what they have worked so hard to conceal. And that's exactly why it is so dangerous. And, And ultimately why the Pharisees hated Jesus. Right? Good people are dangerous because they will not be exposed. Right? They are threatened by the light and truth of the gospel. Now you may say to yourself, well, you know, I'm, I'm saved. I, I know I'm a sinner, so I don't, I, can, I, I don't have to worry about that, right? I don't have to worry that I would be a hypocrite. Wrong. Okay, wrong. Jesus is speaking this to his disciples, to those who have already received him, who have already made huge commitments to follow him. And he said, you, you need to beware of this kind of thinking. And the reality is that as Christians, we can take the first baby step towards the gospel of saying, yeah, I'm a sinner, and uh, appropriating the forgiveness that comes through, through the cross um, so that we feel forgiven. And then we can take the next step to saying, well, now that I'm forgiven, I'm going to work twice as hard at pretending I'm a good person. And oftentimes that's what people think the goal of Christianity is. They think the goal is I come to Jesus, I get saved, and so now I can really pretend more successfully. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what the Christian life is. The Christian life is not putting on a show everybody that we are a good Christian by doing the things that we think people expect us to do and be. It is hypocrisy. Um, and, and the reality is we risk smothering the work of the gospel in our life when we take this approach. Okay? The reality is we are sinners. Uh, we have been saved and forgiven by grace, but um, and, the, and the gospel wants to do a transforming work in us. Praise God for that. But the reality is, we're still pretty messed up human beings, right? Anybody with me on that one? Or is it just me? Amen. Right? We still have thoughts that are horrible. Right? We still have intentions in our soul that are not Christ-honoring. We still would do things if given the opportunity um, that would not be good. Right? And, and the reality is that for many of us, the only thing that prevents us from really acting out the wickedness in our heart is because we become such good actors. Because we know it would wreck up our show. Right? And if that's the motivation for our righteousness, we have missed the gospel. We have missed the gospel. And we are living a life of hypocrisy. And Jesus says that is a dangerous thing. Um, Because we are not living uh, and allowing our life to be exposed to the light and truth of the gospel as long as we are acting and pretending. Another danger is that um, uh, we do need to beware, if you're not a hypocrite, you do need to be aware of the hypocrites around you. Okay? The reality is that there are a lot of Christian people who are really wicked people who are pretending to be good. Right? And I'm not saying that because you need to judge them. 
Jesus does not judge them. He grieves for them, right? The section before, he calls out woes. Grief upon them because he is burdened that they are missing the truth. You don't need to judge them. But you've got to be aware that they're out there. And they, they, they speak your language. They go to your church. They are in your missions organization. They are followers of Jesus at some level. But they're living a life of hypocrisy. And they are threatened by those who will expose them. And they will treat you mean, Right? People are constantly shocked that Christians hurt them. Right? W- wake up, okay? Just wake up, right? Get, get realistic. Christians will hurt you because a lot of them are hypocrites. It's true, right? And they're wicked, evil people who have not allowed the Spirit of God to reign in and rule in their hearts. And yeah, they're going to hurt you. Right? So don't be surprised by it. Right? Jesus says, beware of them. Watch out for them. Right? Because not everybody who names the name of Jesus uh, is being transformed by the gospel. Um, And Jesus goes on to say that there really are a couple serious and grave consequences for people who live this way. Um, He highlights why it's so dangerous. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Let me just read two verses. Verse 8, he says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me uh, before men uh, will be denied before the angels of God. Right? If, if we're living by the fear of man and we don't want to boldly profess our faith in Christ because we're worried about what people will think, Jesus says you will be denied before God. And deny doesn't just mean that I'm going to pretend I don't know you. It means rejection, right? It means you will stand before God one day and and Jesus the Son, who's your only mediator and hope, will reject you because you let the fear of man control your life. Serious words, right? Serious words. Second verse. Um, Verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Um, in other words, when, when you have so invested in your act that the Holy Spirit is a threat to you, that the gospel is a threat to you, and you spend your whole life resisting and repelling the, the, the wooing ministry of the Holy Spirit, you seal your doom, right? You will not be forgiven. You will not find forgiveness. You will forfeit salvation. And so it's serious stuff. Okay? That's why Jesus says, be aware. Hypocrisy is far more destructive than drug addiction or 10,000 other addictions or sins. Right? Um, Jesus said, this is the most serious thing that will keep you from coming to Christ, is pretending to be good, pretending to be something you are not. So what is the cure for this? Well, Jesus says in verse 4, he gives us the cure. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do to you. But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Here's the cure. 
we need to fear God and not people. Uh, a lot of us kind of have a problem with this concept of fearing God. I, I know I've struggled with it a lot. What does it mean to fear God? And why should we fear a God who's supposed to be a God of love, right? Um, well, we need to understand what fear is. Um, fear could be defined as an emotion induced by a perceived threat. Okay, it's a reaction to a perceived threat which causes a change in our brain and in our body and ultimately a change in behavior. That's what fear is. And fear is actually a gift from God. Right? It's given to us to protect us, uh, to see perceived threats and risks that are real, and to prepare for those. Right? So... Um, one of the things I, I, I used to love doing, don't do it too much anymore, but I love rock climbing. And when you're lead climbing, it means there's no rope above you. The rope's below you, right? And you're blazing the trail, right? When you get to the very top, there's this move you do so that other people can, can now climb with the rope above them where you have to take the rope off and you actually have to untie yourself from the rope, right? And re-thread the rope through a, a top uh, ring, so the rope can, can let you down safely and, and belay others as they climb, right? I'm telling you, this is one of the most, for me, one of the most terrifying moments in life when I'm untying the rope at the top of, at the top of a climb, you know, 100 feet up, just nothing but air between you and the ground, and you have to untie yourself from the rope, right? Fear kicks in in me at 10,000 levels. My heart rate goes up, I get nervous, and boy, do I concentrate. I mean, I think a lot about this, getting the steps right and checking every knot and making sure I'm doing things correctly because I know if I mess this one up, I die. All right, you just die because you will fall and the rope won't be there to catch you, right? It's, 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 it's quite the adrenaline rush, and that's what fear is. It's a huge adrenaline rush, right? It focuses us to prevent and work that we are, we are um, we're protecting ourselves, right? So, so here's, the, here's the principle of fear. Fear causes change. Right? If you have the appropriate and right fear of the right things, it will force you to change what you're doing to protect yourself. Uh, when I, a long time ago, I was a firefighter, um, volunteer fireman, was on a lot of car accidents. And I saw repeatedly the risk and threat of not wearing a seatbelt. And what happens when you don't wear your seatbelt often is you get launched out of your car uh, at great distance and you hit the pavement and sometimes other objects, right? It's not pretty. And I've seen what it, do, what it looks like. And I realized this is a risk and a threat. And, and I was fearful. Before that, I thought, uh, I don't need to wear a seatbelt. I'm tough, you know. I'm invincible. After about the, you know, whatever, fifth time I saw what, what could happen, it made me afraid, and I started wearing a seatbelt. Right? I started protecting myself. I made changes. That's the function of fear. Right? Uh, fear in the wrong things will force us to change in ways that are unhealthy. So, so Jesus says, do not fear man. Right? That is a fear directed in the wrong place, and it will change you in ways that are not healthy or good for you. Uh, and that's just what he's been talking about. Um, it, it, creates, it creates hypocrisy when you give undue fear and attention to man. I love the way Jesus says this. Okay, 
uh, I, don't know, I don't have Jesus' perspective on this, but notice what he says. He says, don't fear people. All they can do is kill you. It's like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Sticks and stones do, maybe they don't break my bones, but they hurt, right? People can hurt us, and they can actually kill us, right? They can, they can damage us. Right? A lot of counseling is all about what people have done to us, right? And the, the threats are real. Um, my, one of my good counseling friends that I mentors I learned a lot from Foster Klein when he was dealing with kids who had a lot of fears and un- unrealistic fears about things he would always ask them you know what, what's the worst that can happen and he'd take whatever fear it was and he would say to them what's the worst that could happen and the kids would often say I could die and Foster would say well that's no big deal everybody dies sooner or later <laughs> you know so that's the worst that can happen that's not a big deal right everybody dies <laughs> Yeah, thanks, right? And the reality, but the reality is that is not the worst thing that could happen. And then Foster would go on to say, that's really not the worst thing that can happen to you. Jesus says the same thing. He says, that's not really the worst thing that can happen to you. You're all going to die, right? And uh, it's going to happen. It's in God's hands. You don't need to worry about that, right? There's really nothing people can do to you that's really all that big of a deal, so stop being afraid of people, right? But I'll tell you what you should be afraid of, right? Um, fear him who can kill you and can cast you into hell. Right? That is something to fear. Right? That is something to fear. Um, we should fear God. Um, because he is... The Almighty God, who is creator of the universe and judge over all things. And the reality is that man can kill you, but he cannot kill you without God's approval first. Uh, God's sovereign over that. Right? People act independently of God, but never apart from his sovereign power. He's the one who ultimately has your life in his hands. And not only your physical life, but your eternal being is in his hands. And every single human being on planet Earth will stand before God who will judge. That is something to fear, rightly. Every one of us will stand before God one day and all of your efforts to be good, the mask and the veil that you've tried to cover over all the junk in your life with, is like the most fragile, thin sheet of glass that will be shattered in his presence. And the real you will be exposed. Absolutely, 100%, fully exposed before God. And God will judge your life. And he will determine your eternal destiny. Right Right now, uh, among even so-called Christian people, as well as other people, there's this cry that says, well, I, I would not worship a God like that. I'm not interested in a God who is so judgmental. I can't even imagine following a God who could judge and condemn people to hell. Well, you know what? God could care less what you think, right? God is not up there going, oh gosh, you know, my self-image is at stake here. God is not a people pleaser, right? And he's not going up there thinking, gosh, maybe I should rethink, you know, I'm losing followers. 
God does not care. He is what He is. He is judge and He is sovereign. And it doesn't matter what you think about Him. You will stand before Him and you will answer. Right? And whether you like it or not, if you reject Him, He will send you to hell. Whether you believe it or not, that's what He will do. That is something to fear. Right? That is something to fear and to dread. Uh, Isaiah says it this way, right? And it's such arrogance, right? It is such arrogance that fuels hypocrisy, that imagines we can convince ourselves we're really that good, right? It is our haughtiness before God that, uh, that dares us defy him. Isaiah says this. He says, Their land is filled with silver and gold. They're so successful. There's no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with idols, uh, the gods they've made after their image, what they want God to be. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. But when they stand before God, man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Isaiah says, do not forgive them. Enter, he says to people, he says, enter into the rock, the cave, and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The idols shall utterly pass away, and people shall flee to the caves and the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from before the splendor of his majesty. Um, We need to fear God as judge. It is the only thing that will really change us. And it's sad and unfortunate, um, tragically sad and unfortunate, that the church, the modern church, has stopped preaching the judgment and wrath of God. Because in so doing, uh, we've, we've brought people to a place where they'll never hear the gospel because they'll never uh, see the sinfulness and wickedness of their life. It's interesting, uh, Grace, I love you know, what she said this morning, that let's preach about hellfire and brimstone. You know, let's, preach, let's sing about God's judgment. Right? Where do you find those hymns? Where do you find those songs? Well, I love the first thing she pulls up is a hymn. Right? Because the hymns have much more of a sense of that, because they came from a day and an age when people preached... The fierce holiness of God, who would judge, right? Our modern-day choruses just kind of lack that, because our modern church lacks that. Um, So here's the truth, and here's the principle. Uh, We must allow the gospel to expose us now, right? Uh, We need to humble ourselves and strip off our pretense of being good so that the gospel can expose what we are inside, Because if we don't do it now, while there's a chance for something different, there will come a day when we will be exposed and there will be no chance. 
because we will have so hardened our hearts against him. That's what Jesus says. You, you, you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. You have rejected the Holy Spirit to the extent you have hardened your heart that even when you stand before God in judgment, you will defy him. Right? It's not God's choice. It's what we do uh, in our pride to resist God. Thankfully, though, it does not end there. Right? We need to spend time there in our life, but it does not end there. Jesus finishes with these words, and let me, let me end with these words. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Amazing. Jesus just said, fear God. Now he says, don't fear. Do not be afraid. For you are of more value than many, many sparrows. Incredible words of grace. Um, And it reminds us that there is another, you go past this fear, right? We need to come to the place where we stand before God, fearful of his judgment, but we don't stop there. We can get to the other side of that fear to a place where we encounter God's grace and the heart of a loving father who cares for us. Uh, He says, he talks about how deeply aware and concerned God is about the most minute details of his creation. Um, scholars tell us that sparrows, which were sold in sets of five, were the cheapest thing you could buy at the market. It was the food of poor people. And you could get five sparrows for two cents. And I've eaten some pretty small birds, and I'm telling you, on a sparrow, there would not be much meat, <laughs> right? Uh, but you buy five of them for two cents, right? Uh, and it says God will not forget even one of them. And the word there, forget, doesn't mean just that he will stop thinking about it. It means uh, to neglect or to no longer care for. Okay? Jesus, uh, God will not neglect or cease caring for even the most worthless of sparrows. He says that um, he knows how many hairs you have on your head. Right? Does anybody know even roughly how many hairs you have on your head? I googled it, right? Answers for everything. Somewhere between 100 and 150,000 hairs, right? You feel better now? Right? It's good to know that. Uh, the, the, the deal is, like, for, for, for God and for me, like this, it's, it, it requires constant updating. Because <laughs> every day there's less, a lot less, right? So he's got to count every day and update the figures, okay? This is kind of a time-consuming deal, I'm thinking, right? For information I really don't care about, Right? Who cares how many hairs you have on your head? Now, we, we care about our weight. We care, might care about our height. We might care about, you know, our teeth. But how many personal ads have you read where people say, you know, I'm a female, blonde, 130 pounds, blue eyes, and I have 112,413 hairs on my head? Right? That would be just scary. It's like, okay, I'm not talking to that person. Right? We don't care. God cares. Right? That's how... Concerned he is about you, that he cares about details that are of absolutely no interest to you, but he is intimately interested in the most minute details of your life, right? So Jesus says, Look, if you come to the place of, of judgment before God and you allow the gospel to expose you, 
then you will take action and you will grab hold of the cross, right? Because you will know that your only hope is that you, you stand under the protective cover of Jesus who took God's wrath in our place, who died for our sins. And on the other side of the cross, there is no fear because there is the reality that God cares for us. He cares for us more than we can know or imagine. And it gives us a boldness to, to boldly proclaim him, right? When we no longer fear man and we know God is with us and he loves us, uh, we can acknowledge him before men, boldly professing, yeah, I am a Christian. I follow Jesus because my life is in his hands. And I don't care what people think. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Hate me. I don't care. Because I care only about what God thinks. And he says that our forgiveness is without limit. He says everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. There are people in this crowd who would actually be nailing Jesus to the cross. Jesus says, you can be forgiven of that. There's no limit to the extent to which God will forgive you once you understand and, and admit I sin, I sin. Um, verse 11 and 12, he says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities to bring charges and, and attack you, don't fear. Don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. Uh, the Pharisees would become enemies of the gospel. Right? These good people would kill people. Right? They would kill Jesus. They would kill the disciples. The authority, authorities and rulers since that time have been our enemies. Right? And they will attack you. There are people who will harm you. There are people who will seek to silence you uh, because the gospel exposes them. Right? And so life is a battle. It is tough. But God promises that he will always care for you. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to protect you from harm. Right? He doesn't say, you'll never have to worry about them killing you because I won't let that happen. No, it could happen. Right? But he will always be with you. He says, when they drag you before you know, their courts, the Holy Spirit will be with you and he will give you what to say. Right? No matter what happens, God is with you. Right? He loves you. He is concerned about the most minute details of your life. He cares for you. And he is faithful to you. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.